Hey, Generation Church, we welcome you and invite you to encounter Jesus with us. We believe that through him, we will encounter love and discover our purpose. So take a seat, lean in, and let this message fortify your faith. Well, hello, Generation Church. Okay, it's good to be here. Uh, This is my first time using the lavalier mic. Um, My interns, my grandson, Kyle, who is 21, and my 19-year-old ministry intern, Edlin, have told me that they have uh, declared war against my dinosaur ways of... um, You know, and uh, we had a worship service out in our backyard last week. Uh, The Lord gave one of the people in our home church a vision that we were going to release worship outside between, because we live close to the Virginia line in North Carolina. And um, so the whole band set up outside. And um, the man who's just moved from Ireland to our county had all his, the guitar player, all his music, where's the band, on his iPad. And every, and, and if we change the key, he just like hit something on the program that shifted the whole key. Where I'm counting one, four, five, relative minor six, if I subtract two chords and go back the letters, I can, right, this is, I'm doing the old way, and I have 18 sheets of music in front of me that the wind is blowing around so that the, ba- so that the sound people are running up to my music stand, clipping it with paper, not paper, but, um, you know, clothesline pins, and... I was sitting there and I was like, you're a dinosaur, Joanne. <laughs> you are a dinosaur. How the, br- the brother from Ireland, he's just standing there, smooth, you know, with silk, just chilling. Not me. Music everywhere. You know, I was like, okay, it's time to grow up. Time to use the love. Time to uh, get my iPad out and uh, stop, uh, you know, go with the times. I remember Pastor Sam was the first one who said to me, when people started texting, some of you were probably born then, um, <laughs> I, you know, originally I was morally opposed to texting. I'm like, look, if I got something to say, I'm going to say it. You know, this, is, this completely removes, removes human interaction. This is not healthy. And, and so Pastor Sam would say, I texted you all this stuff about the conference coming up. I said, I don't text. I don't even know. And other people from the church, Pat and, you know, and um, others, you know, they're texting me. I don't text. And Pastor Sam just sat and he said, look, if you don't start texting, you are not going to enter the world of your grandchildren. <laughs> I was like, you know, all right, I'll start texting now, man. I'll, you know, it, it's all I know how to do. I don't even think to call anybody. Somebody calls me, I'm like, why are they calling? Why? We, don't, we don't need to talk. We just send me these words. Except, you know, sometimes the words hit people wrong, and, you know, that's not good. But I'm just saying, you know, so here I am today again. I started texting here, and now I'm using the law. So um, submitting to the leadership of the house, you know, I am a, a part of this ministry. I tithe here. I, um, my husband and I are both ordained under Pastor Sam and Eliza. Our original ordination had to be resigned when we went to the Middle East because they uh, would not give us a residency permit as long as we were ordained ministers. Um, they, you know, it's against the law to preach the gospel. You can't even say God bless you if somebody sneezes without being in trouble. And... Uh, 
So this is when we come here, we're coming home. And we brought our grandson today. Well, he came on his own. Actually, we didn't bring him. He grew up in this church. And uh, he moved here when he was seven years old with his mother, my daughter, and his uh, family. And this is where, I mean, he grew up in our church, his grandparents' church. But, you know, when do you not know Jesus when your family are pastors, right? You just know Jesus on some level. But this is where he met Jesus as a young man and, 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 and had a personal encounter with him in a way that changed him and so like pastor sam said we have so much in this house and what's passed between our families you know that um is a rich heritage and my grandson um when he found out we were coming you know he said i'm i'm gonna come because this is really coming home for me this is where Jesus became real to me. And I'm so grateful for that. I would give anything for that, you know, for my seed, knowing that they're walking in, in, uh, in holiness. And uh, where's our brother that just got baptized? God bless you in that river. Come on. You know, I went to Israel. And the government paid my way for my work with uh, trauma victims. You know, Israel's on the cutting edge all the time of any work that is uh, producing great fruit for trauma because they have a traumatized generation from the Holocaust. And so they're always looking for people who are making any kind of inroads in trauma work. And so they paid my way and brought me there. And while I was there, there were other pastors that they brought too. And uh, we were at the Jordan River, you know, where Jesus was baptized, where Joshua crossed over in the promised land. And these other pastors were like, can we get baptized in the Jordan River? And they were like, sure. And it was cold. And they went down there. And I thought, well, I was looking at it. And I thought, well, I reckon I could be cold for Jesus again. I mean, I've been baptized already, but, you know, everybody else getting baptized. I don't want to be the odd man out or the odd woman out. But then, brother, I saw, I saw animals. I saw living things in that river, specifically river otters. They started swimming around the people getting baptized. I said, no, sir. No. See? We live in separate atmospheres because that was the plan, okay? I don't live in the water. They don't live on the land. We have respect for each other's environment. I saw those river otters and their little teeth, and they were swimming around. I was like, no, there ain't nothing in that Jordan River more than the Jesus already in me. So I got mad respect for you, brother. And I was standing out there. And they're like, you sure? I said, I'm 100% positive. We've been married 42 years. People ask all the time, you going to renew your vows? Heck no. The first ones are still working. We're good. <laughs> I don't, I'm not against people renewing their vows. You know, renew them as many times as you want. But we're still good on the first set. You know, I don't need to renew them. I didn't need to be rebaptized. So I got mad respect for you, brother. You got in that river. And Pastor Sam, who got in the river with him, you know, it's a different environment. I'm just saying, you know. So anyway, um, so everybody today who held the microphone, speaking from the spiritual atmosphere, is saying exactly what I came here to say to you today. From Rocky in the very beginning to Pastor Sam to Daniel. Um, you're Daniel, right? Worship 
leader. Yeah, I, I remember when you were a little boy. Maybe I have been coming here 17. If he's been here 17 years, maybe I've been here 17 years. I don't know. I've lost track now. Um, and I, and I want to affirm everything he said. Because, I mean, the Fines have seen me at my best. They've seen me at my worst and always loved me. And, um, you know, I, I, um, they've seen my kids at their best. They've seen them at their worst. And they've always loved, uh, loved them. And I've loved their kids, even though there was hardly any worse. <laughs> Barely worth mentioning. Anyway... But what I'm saying is, you know, that's how you build relationship. I see Miss Jo Jane is here today, and I want to give honor to her. Uh, on the forefront, she is the first home that hosted me when I came here. I stayed in Miss Jo Jane's house. And that was when I got my baptism into the mountain life when they said, you don't have any gum in your car, do you? Uh, no. Why? Because the bears will open the door to eat the gum. I was like, we need to preach the word and get the heck out of here. Okay. <laughs> because I'm, I told the intercessor that came with me, I was like, look, if the bears are opening car doors to get a stick of gum, I don't belong here. See, again, respect for the kingdom, right? The animal kingdom, water, jungles. This is not where I'm from. I got, you know, like you all live there and I'm going to live here and we're going to respect each other and go our own way. So anyway, but I do have a word for this church specifically. And really, um, from what Rocky said to what Pastor Sam said to what Daniel said, you're going to see, I'm going to say it differently but I'm going to say the same exact thing that they said. And I love that. I love it when, when someone like Rocky just gets up and he just starts talking because he's listening. He's picking up the, the communication that's in the spiritual atmosphere. And, you know, we, you might call it a vibe, whatever you call it. There is kingdom words that are going out. You know something the Lord spoke to me not long ago is, um, you know, historically the church kind of rejects science, especially if, they, if it disagrees with something they believe. But science is constantly growing and learning more so that they end up affirming everything that's in the Bible. It's just that some places they haven't gotten there yet to figure out what the whole point is. And so really science is nothing to fear. It's actually something that continues to grow and to teach. And um, so the Lord spoke to me recently about, um, you know, truth and, and how truth is light. And I was working with a client that had... Uh, grown up with a lot of lies and a lot of ungodly beliefs. And I was asking the Lord for a strategy of how to help this client. You know, the Bible says that we're transformed, right, completely changed by the renewing of the mind. A lot of people want to cut the mind out of the, out of the deal. Somebody called me not too long ago, said, what would you think about uh, somebody going to... Uh, uh, hypnotism, a hypnotist to stop smoking. I said, why would you want to cut the mind out of the process? You are, that's what he says, the word says on Peter, I would, you would be restored and sanctified your spirit, soul, and body. 
We're not supposed to be leaving out a third of who we are, only working on the spirit man. The mind is powerful. You want to engage it in the transformation process. You want to change the way you think. It's going to change your life. You want to change the body. See, he's given us these thirds of energy and power, but when you're unbalanced or you're not taught or your teaching is incomplete, everything is about the spirit. Well, that's good if all you were was a spirit, but you're a mind too. And they said, well, how about a hypnotist? No, don't remove, because the whole point of hypnotism is to, you know, push the mind aside and try to, you know, program somebody. Why would you want to do that? Use the mind. It's powerful, right? And so I was praying about this for this particular client. And the Lord said, teach them how to recognize light because light moves faster than sound. And I said, huh. So before those generational lies, before those family lies, before those culture lies, before the lies of the enemy can activate in your inner dialogue, light is faster than that. His truth is faster than that. And, you know, I was like, that is so cool, God. You know, light is faster than sound. It is. I mean, if you're a scientist, look it up, you know. And I thought, oh, so his word, his truth that makes men and women free gets there faster than the lie. The difference is, what are you going to believe? right, to be transformed. And so um, today I've brought truth, not only for the body of Christ, but specifically for this house, because something happened on my way here that was unique, it's never happened to me before, and we're going to get to that. So let's go ahead and get into the word. Um, you, um, Jesse, yeah, I forgot our code. Uh, go to the top. Is that the top? Is that what I called this? <laughs> Okay, all right, this is the top of this message (laughs) that I promise you I really do know. It's in my spirit. All right, so, thank you, dear. We had codes, and now I've messed them up. Okay, so, all right, we're going to start here. Entering God's promises. Um, I come here seasonally, and then sometimes by special invitation, a Pastor Sam says it'd be good if you could come, or we'd love to have you. But this is my seasonal visit. This is my, my, my fall visit. Okay, is it happening again? Hold on. I know. I'm sorry. I know, brother. Thanks. Yeah, that's the spirit of the house. You know I'm not doing well, but you're going to say it anyway. <laughs> But thank you for the encouragement. I appreciate it. Um, Entering God's promises. Um, You know, entering God's promises is not the same as living a Christian life. Entering God's promises is something very specific that that is available to the body of Christ. And a lot of people don't do it. And we're going to talk about that today because you have a choice. And... uh, You know, and I want to, I hope, cast a vision for you for this hour, what the now word is, but also to recognize, you know, like, why would you want to enter God's promises? It's it's important, but you don't have to do it. You have a choice. So let's keep going. 
So this is Exodus. This is Moses. He's in the desert and it and he sees the burning bush and he says also I am the God of your father the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob then Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God now you got to remember Moses grew up in Egypt he is grown up under the leadership of a brother and sister who are married to each other the Pharaoh and his uh, wife. He has learned all the gods of Egypt. Every wicked crocodile, bird, you name it, of the fallen spiritual creation. This is what he grew up worshiping until he goes out into the wilderness to try to find out who he is in God and his identity. And he meets Jethro, the priest of Midian. And so now Jethro, I'm sure, has been, you know, advising him as waking him up to the fact that he's grown up in a pagan world. That's all he knew. And Jethro's saying, and now he meets Jethro's God in person for the first time. And this is the way he identifies himself. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face where he was afraid to look at God. See, at this point, all he knows about, you know, gods is they're, you know, temperamental and grumpy and vindictive and require all kinds of sacrifice. They don't sacrifice for you. And so he hides his face. He's got a reason to be afraid. Let's go to the next one, Jesse. And God said to Abram, Know for certain your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with a great substance. Now, let me tie these two together for you. So 600 years... Before Moses is alive, God is having a conversation with Abram, who is not yet Abraham, father of many nations. He hasn't changed his name yet to his potential. He's still got that old name. And he says, know for certain. He's like, we're making a deal. We're making a covenant. We're about to do something between you and me. And he says, but I want you to understand something. You, your descendants are going to be enslaved. And he tells them, 600 years ahead of time, for 400 years, but I'm going to deliver them, and I'm going to bring them out of slavery with great substance. Depending on what translation you look at, it might say great possessions. See, when God brings us out of slavery, he is prepared to take every single thing that ever happened to you and turn it into treasure, to turn it for good, to turn it where, for the kingdom. So when people are like, oh gosh, I wish I hadn't wasted so much time and grown up like this and grown up like that. Let me tell you, it is not a problem for him. He's going to bring everyone out of captivity with great substance because that's what he does. So he tells them ahead of time, why does he say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? See, when God starts naming. Have you ever read any of the, the begattings and the, and the, you know, where you're reading the scripture and it's like, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. If you grew up in a, 
use a positive word, devoted religious home. You may have written them if you didn't clean your room. Uh, I don't know. I've seen things. Uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work for people who grew up in uh, homes that thought that, that the, you know, so-and-so begat so-and-so would be an incentive to, um, all right, I'm giving it one more try, sir. One more try. And then right here, see, because... I'm no fool. My backup plan is right here. All right, this is my emergency plan. I said, look, I appreciate you got faith in me, but we're going to have, a, we're gonna have a, a life raft if this ship goes down. So he, he says this because there's something that he wants you to understand about him. He is a God that is transactional as well as relational. See, there's time, like Pastor Sam said this morning, there's a time to seek his face and not his hand. But tell that to somebody who's going hungry. Seek his face. Well, right now I need his hand because my children are hungry. We're losing our house. The power's off. The air is off. We're, we're showering, you know, at the Y. See, God is both. And there's just knowing the difference between which time to seek his face and when to seek his hand. But if you can't seek his hand, if all you get is is the peace and the beauty of his presence, I'm sorry, that's an incomplete revelation of God. He is both. And so what he's saying when he's constantly saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is saying there's stuff I'm going to do for you just because of your granddaddy. Stuff because of your great, 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 great grandma. Because of your great aunt. Because of your second cousin. What he's saying is that you can depend on me to make provision for you that you don't deserve. Because I kept track when these other generations did things. See, he's been keeping track of what's going on here with Sam and Eliza all these years and the rest of you that have been here. He's keeping track. And you will never outgive God. See, you want God to be transactional. You want God to keep your tears like he does in a little tiny bottle. You want God, you know, they tell you, I'm sure you've heard it because people like to preach the sermons that are, you know, make people excited. But, you know, it says the hairs on your head are numbered. Not that he knows how many there are. It means you brushed your hair this morning and 44 and 82 fell out and he knows now he's got to renumber them all. You see what I'm saying? Like this is, see, you want to know there's a God who cares this much about the smallest things in your life. And he's saying, I'm not just your God. I am the God of your fathers, you your son, your daughter, your seed to a thousand generations. And, and see, this kind of confidence causes us not to be tricked into fear. Because how many of you have, you know, you know I can't tell you how many times I had the uh, opportunity to experience children raised in, you know, raised in Israel who act like they grew up in Egypt. 
<laughs> you know, you're like, what is going on in this family? Who is doing these things? Who's making these choices? This is not the way you were raised. These are not, this is not your value system. And then you're the grandparent, maybe, or the parent, or you're worried, or, or the grandchild. You know, all the time we see situations like where we live in, in, my, in my practice or in my daughter's law practice, where there's like a, someone who was on drugs and got with someone who had a baby, and they didn't get married, and then the, Lauren uh, did a, a case for this, my daughter Lauren, who's an attorney. Uh, there was a family in the church that came to her and they said, our son was on drugs and he got with this lady who was on drugs and she had a baby and their son died in a car accident. And they had no access to this baby because the lady was still kind of living in that community and that life of someone who's dealing with substance abuse. And my daughter won the case to get that grandbaby out of that life and into their house. See, God is concerned about your seed. That's why he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want you to trust me because otherwise you're going to be afraid. Ooh, what if the kids go to public school? What if the grandchildren go to public school? What if they move away? What if they marry someone who doesn't believe exactly the same? When I was in the Middle East, I used to tell my son, you can bring home any woman you want, any color, any race, whatever. But I need to hear one word, Jesus. Okay? That's what I need to hear. Don't be bringing me someone that's got some other name like Allah or no. Okay, but yeah, I just need to hear one word. I do not care where you grew up, what color you are at all, but I need to hear Jesus. That's what I need to hear if you want my blessing on this relationship, okay? But it doesn't need to be the same church I go to, and it doesn't need to be the same church her daddy goes to, but I better hear Jesus. That's what I need to hear. My son-in-law, who's a judge, um, when my, my daughter was dating him, you know, he was the chief district attorney. And we're sitting at supper, and I don't know him. And my husband and I both were sitting there. And I mean, you know, he's the chief district attorney. He's a judge now. And um, so we sit down, and they're like, oh, this, these are my parents, you know, Jamie and Joanne, and they're pastors. And, you know, he's like, oh, it's so good to meet you. And, you know, and so we're sitting there, and I said, I waited. I waited seven, eight minutes. I said, so, Mr. Womble, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Do you depend on him? Have you yielded your life to him? Because that's really all I need to know from, you know, moving forward from this conversation. And if you don't, that's okay. We can talk about that. But I need to know. We need to know where we stand with Jesus, okay? Because that's what you leave my house with. You leave my house with Jesus a compass that points true north in case you go crazy and lose your way, and an education. And that's what you leave my house with. So I need to know, what are you about? He goes, yes, ma'am, I do. I said, do you remember your salvation experience? He told me, he said, I felt like I was joining a polygamous cult. I said, well, I, you know, you might have. And I wasn't mean. I mean, I wasn't rude. But see, this is what I need to know. This is going to be someone who's going to be involved with my grandchildren. I need to know. Maybe you grew up Catholic. Okay, I don't, you know, we'll, we'll deal with all that. But I need to know that Jesus is on the horizon somewhere in your, you know, ideally um, in this scenario. 
And, um, and see, God, that's what he's trying to say in this. I am a God who cares about these things. And um, so here's 600 years of living promise. 600 years early, God says, trust me for some promises I'm making to you. You see what I'm saying? Because you know where we're going with this story, right? You know what they did when they got there to the promised land. You know, big fail. Worse than my lavalier here that's <laughs> falling off my ear. So he's saying this. You see, you understand what I'm saying? Children of Israel have not, uh, not even been born yet. There is no Israel. There is 600 years early. He says, hey, trust me with your seed. 600 years in the future. And he doesn't have a good, he doesn't have a good prophecy. He says they're going to be enslaved and mistreated. But trust me. See, when people come to me, their children, grandchildren, long-term substance abuse, I say, okay, we got to get a vision. You need marathon faith, not sprint faith. Okay, you've got to step into this realm recognizing you're going to lose a few battles, but you're not going to lose the war because you can trust him with 600 years of promises to your seed. Some of you sitting here right now, not even married yet, and there are promises he is keeping for you, for your seed that you haven't even had yet. That's the kind of God you're serving. Let's keep going, Jesse. Next. All right, so here now we're back at with Moses. He's got all the people out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt. You know, they've crossed the Red Sea. All the plagues have happened, and they're now to the promised land. And this is the message. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, and the western foothills, in the Negev, along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river of the Euphrates. See, I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land, and the Lord swore he'd give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to the descendants after them. You see, the God you're serving goes 600 years this way, and he goes 600 years that way. See, he can give him a number line. He's either way. And see, if you understand that, when you can get that in your spirit, that this is who he is, the enemy's not going to be able to torment you with, well, what if my grandchild or my child doesn't get this message or go to this school or we don't hide them away at home from the world because the, we have more confidence in the devil's ability to deceive them than we do in God's ability to keep them. Now, I'm not saying don't keep your kids home. I homeschooled my kids. You know, I don't have a problem with that until I was done. One day after Christmas break, we came back. It said, solve the volume for this cube. And I realized for the first time in my life, I didn't care. I was like, I don't care. I don't care what the volume for this cube is. I went out in the hall. I said, Jesus, I don't care. You need to pray. I need prayer. I got to pray for myself, lay hands on my head. My attitude is not right. I got to get my attitude right. Went back in the room, sat back down. Sitting there with my child. I was like, you know, I still don't care. <laughs> I walked back out in the hall. 
said, has the grace lifted? Has the grace for homeschooling lifted, Lord? Is that what's happening here? And so I, I told the kids, I said, get dressed. I carried them down to the Christian school and signed them up that day. People at the church thought I was having a nervous breakdown. Because literally, I've been homeschooling all these years. And one day, because I didn't want to solve the volume of the cube, Holy Spirit told me the grace was lifted. I was done. I carried them to school, signed them up. That was it. We were done. They, by that point, they're in middle school. And uh, I took all the books and everything, emptied the homeschool room, and, you know, and did the next thing with God. And, uh, and people would call me, are you all right? Yes, I'm all right. Because I'm not worried about hiding my kids away. Because I have more confidence in this God who can go 600 years, 1,000 years, either direction. And if they end up in some form of slavery, he's going to bring them out with substance. See, what, what, what can the devil do to that? What can he do? Does that mean you're not unhappy when they're not living in their best life? Of course not. You're not happy, but you're still for them. And when you're for them, that's all you can say. Well, are you happy with this choice? Nope. (laughs) But I think you know that because you know me. My daughter came home from college one time, had a low-cut blouse on. Uh, not, not an appropriate low cut. And um, she, uh, you know, her daddy was like, what's, what's going on with that? That's a lot to look at there. And I said, I don't know. So I said something to her. What's, uh, what's happening here? And she said, I'm an adult. And I'm just trying to find myself. And you don't have the right to tell me, well, I'm trying to find myself who I am to be in the mold that you want me to fit because, you know, I'm my own person. Guess which redemptive gift this is, by the way, okay? There ain't no servant. You know this is a prophet, right? She's, she's freewheeling at this point, freestyling. So I, she's, she goes out the door, and I hear it slam hard. And then she, and so she says in, in her recollection that she turned around, I'm standing at the door. I'm standing at the door of her car. She just slammed the door in my house, raised her voice to me, slammed the door in my house. I took her hand and I said, hi. You may not know who you are, but you seem to have forgotten who I am. <laughs> I said, so I'm going to introduce myself to you again. I'm Joanne Arizaga. You don't make house payments here. You want to slam a door, I'm going to need $3,214 this month. And every month after that, that you want to slam a door. Because you can't slam a door in my house unless you got the money to pay the house payment. See, she was trying to find herself. Okay, find yourself. I don't care. You be you. But don't forget who I am. Okay, while you're in your finding yourself, because I'm for you, but I'm not moving. You know, when the prodigal goes on his way, the father never leaves. He doesn't chase him down. He does not chase him down. What he does is he stays until the kid pulls out the compass in the pig pen, and it's true north. And he's like, oh, I'm going home. See, then he gets a robe and a ring and a calf and a party. And, I mean, it's all great at that point. 
And I'm not saying you shouldn't reach out to people lovingly, but I'm just saying you can't chase people down. You can't chase kids down. You can't chase grandkids down. You can't chase nieces and nephews down. What you can do is stay right where you are and love them the same and be for them. And that's what God is demonstrating to us. So he says it again. He wants people to get this idea. I am a multi-transactional, multi-generational God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, go to the next scene, please. I am the God. Now, now he throws a new dynamic into it. He says, I am the God. This is Matthew 22:32. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Is he not the God of the dead? but of the living. He's like, so this is when, you know, the, the scholars are trying to come trick Jesus. You ever have people do this with you? I can't tell you how many people stood in front of me and say, I know the Bible's a lie because he lies right in Genesis. You know what's coming next. It says, you eat from this tree. The day you eat this tree, you'll surely die. And they didn't die. And God was already lying in the first book. Uh, sir? Let me introduce you to what God calls death. It's not the body. It's separation from him. And on that day, they did die because they were separated from him. And that's what he calls death, not the death of the body. But you get these people think that, you know, they're going to point out something all of history missed, you know. And so they're, now they're messing with Jesus, and they're saying, you know, uh, in the, you know, it says that women and men, they get divorced, and then there's six husbands and wives, and who in heaven, they think they've outsmarted him. And he's like, what? You know, and he says, I am. He quotes from that very same scripture we just read, and he said, what are you talking about? Because all these people still alive. Ain't nobody dead. Nobody dies. It's where you spend eternity is the question. See, everybody lives. It's just what quality of life are you looking at? What are you talking about where you're going to end up? And, and, and so he brings in this whole new dynamic that he's like, again, I want you to see. He wants you to see him. Either direction. He's multi-transactional, multi-generational. Isn't it interesting that this church is called Generation Church? And this is the first most important message God wants people to get. I am in the generations. I'm in all of it. From the beginning to the end before and way more than you can imagine after. And then he throws in a new thing. He says, and this is all alive and happening in real time. I saw Elon Musk uh, posted something about his research shows that we're living in a live action uh, drama, if you will, that's going on day by day. People are making choices, and he says, he says, no way we're not in some type of reality that is live action. And I thought, exactly. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's live action, and he is committed to everything, and he's keeping track because it's living. He is the God of living promises to you, to your seed. So you say, well, I've really messed up. I've done things I'm really ashamed of. I've done things I wasted time. I wasted money. I wasted my ministry. I wasted my purity. I wasted my holiness. You know what? Grace, there's a reason it's called unmerited favor. Because you don't deserve it. Okay, so first of all, you've got to get over that. 
But secondly, there's stuff that God's going to do for my grandson right here that has nothing to do with him. It has to do with us and before us. Times we stayed faithful. See, Sam and Eliza, they're getting the testimony of the words about faithfulness. I'm sure you all have that somewhere. And there are going to be times that he visits your seed simply because of something you did now that nobody noticed or nobody appreciated. And he is going because he is keeping track. He is transactional. Keep going, please. The God of living promises. Keep going. All right, so... For you are all sons and daughters of God. Uh, wait, sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor neither is there slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs to the promise. You heard Pastor Sam say that today. He said, welcome our brother to the family. We are all heirs according to the promise. This is a family. See, the reason I bring this scripture up is because when I teach the first part of that, there will people who say to me, well, that's good if you're a Jew. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are for Jews. We're not Jews. Well, according to Galatians, you are. Okay? You've been grafted in. It says, if for all are one in Christ, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. So now we're talking 6,000 years later, you are going to have favor an opportunity because of his promises to Abraham because you are Abraham's heirs. See, this thing is unlocked, people. Fear, you know, if you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's great because that locks out fear. But, you know, fear comes in because it lies or it twists truth. Do you see how deep you are in God? This is like when they're running a basketball tournament and the bench is as deep as the starters. One year, Kentucky had, a, I'm sorry if you don't like Kentucky, I'm just saying I have respect for the programs before they were bringing in prostitutes and all that, okay? But I'm just saying, they had starters and a bench as deep in talent as the starters. This is before all the one and done years. I mean, I had, I had so Rick Patino was there. Calipari was there. These are people who coach teams so deep. Do you see how deep you are in the promises of God? You are deep in the promises of God. And that's what he wants you to understand. That this thing goes all the way through. See, the children of Israel, which I didn't bring the scripture up for you because you know the story. He tells them, go in the land. We read it in Deuteronomy. I've given you this land. What did they say? No. Thank you. <laughs> they didn't even say thank you. They, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, Moses, God bless them. Would you do bring us out here so we would die in the wilderness? Boy, you know, that just triggers my passive aggressive, you know, yes. 
Yes, that's exactly what I did. I brought, I, my son used to say to me, because he was a mercy, and mercies are very intuitive to the atmosphere. So even if you're not saying ugly stuff, they can feel you're thinking ugly stuff, which really sucks, because you think, oh, wow, I'm not saying any ugly stuff, but they can still smell it and feel it, you know? And my son said to me once when he was five years old, do you just get up in the morning to make us feel bad? Yes. Yes, son. no, I don't say that because I know it's passive-aggressive and I'm not going to attack my own son. But in my head, I'm thinking, yep, that's right. I got up this morning at 5 a.m. to make lunches and pack up sports bags and school projects and everything everybody's going to need for the day just so that we can all get in the car, be miserable together all the way to school so I can make you feel bad. In fact, I woke up at 5 this morning, and the first thing I thought was, what can I do today to make my children feel bad? Now, I did not say any of that, but I got to tell you, it was all going on in my head. But see, then there's the thing. He can feel it, right, Elise? He can feel it. So now... You know, I'm like, great. And, you know, whether I'm saying it or not, the atmosphere is toxic because what I have to deal with is the fact that I'm angry that he is making these statements. See, when the children of Israel reject the promised land, what you see is so important because even though you read the verses that says that God was mad and he said, you know, for every year that you... For every day, because they were in the promised land, the spies, for 40, 40 days, you know, searching it out. And it says for every day they were searching out the promise, you're going to wander in the wilderness. But there are Bible scholars who have gone back and tracked the exact amount of days from when they left Goshen all the way through to they get to Sinai. And it's an exact number count of Jesus' Passover the death, resurrection, Pentecost, it's all there. It's a map for us. And when Moses intercedes for the people, he's really just giving us the picture, the foreshadowing of what the death of Jesus on the cross would be. Because what did we deserve without him paying the price? Death. So people read that and they're like, ooh, God seems a little touchy. But that was in, this is a picture that he's showing us, foreshadowing a time that's coming in the future. And what does God do when they throw his promise back in his face? He is faithful because he cannot be faithless. Do you understand that? So this idea that people, you see them interacting with God like he's Zeus or Hera or Mars or Mercury or some of the Roman gods or the Greek gods who have tantrums and take them out. You think God's punishing me for this? No, because even if you are faithless, he cannot be faithless. It says when he returns on his thigh, it's written, faithful and true because that's his nature that's who he is and so when they throw it they throw his promise back in his face you know what they still get manna chicken dinner their shoes don't wear out he still meets at the tabernacle the tent the cloud comes on the tent 
still hitting rocks and getting water out of it. You see, when people choose to wander, you don't lose God. You can't. He would have to be faithless. The point is, he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. He has never loved you less, and he will never love you more. Do you understand that? When you were formed in your mother's womb, and sometime between 10 to 14 days when blood started flowing, and the Ruach HaKodesh blew breath into you, you were loved perfectly. You know, when I figured that out, I wasn't motivated to be at church as much. Because when I thought I was making God happy, well, I'll tell you, I was there, the doors open, closed, everything. And then when I realized, when I got a revelation that God was never going to love me more than he did at my and that he never loved me less when I was failing him, I was like, yeah, you know, I don't feel as motivated to be there as much now because he's just going to love me the same anyway. Because really, these were just me trying to prove to him that I was worthy of his love. And then I was like, wow, how much of this has been real? <laughs> because I've, I realized I was really motivated by that fear thing. Let me prove to God how faithful I am so he'll love me more like my parents didn't, like these people didn't, like those people didn't. See, we don't even realize that kind of stuff's going on until you get a revelation. He's like, I love you because I love you because I love you because I love you because I love you. You just got baptized. You know, he never loved you less when you weren't. And he's never going to love you more because you are perfectly loved from the time you were created. Isn't that amazing about him? I mean, that takes a lot of that sweat load off of fear. All right, so let's keep going. We got to get through this. Entering his promises is your choice. If you don't enter the promises God has for you, ministry, opportunity. We'll just say John 10, 10, life abundant, right? Not life eternal. That's part of the package. John 10, 10. I've come that you would have life abundant, meaning fulfilled. So if you don't want that, say you want 10 bucks of salvation to escape hell, even though Calvary is trillions of, of everything for life abundant. Say you don't want it. Guess what? He doesn't love you any less. You know who suffers if you don't enter the promise? You, not him. You see, you don't enter the promises because he's going to love you more or be mad at you. You enter the promises for you because he's going to love you the same. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I've been a parent. I don't love anywhere like he loves. And I've loved grandchildren and adult children who made good decisions and who made heartbreaking decisions. And I did not love them less one day, either way. And I did not love them more when they made better decisions. I love them because I love them. And that's how God feels about you. So if you don't enter God's promises, that's your choice. You get a chicken dinner. You get manna every morning. Your shoes won't wear out. He'll still show up here on Sunday like he does here. And, and his presence will be here. You see, there's no shame. There's no fear motivating you to enter the promised land. He's going to love you exactly the same. The person's going to miss out is you. Miles Monroe said the richest place on earth is a graveyard. It's for all the people who took everything with them, all the potential they could have had, 
And they just took it with them. Will you go to heaven? Heck yeah, you'll go to heaven. You be there right next to me. And Sam and Eliza and my husband and my grandson, all, we'll all be there together. But you will have missed out on what it is to walk in the promises that are thousands of years old. Man, that's motivation. Then after I got over myself, I'm like, well, you're not going to love me more. I don't even know why I'm going to do this. Because like Daniel said, pastoring is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. It is like, you know, whoo, good days. I remember one time, Pastor, I heard I was at a conference, and they said, some people think the ministry is all glory. I was like, really? I'm not, I, I might have missed the glory part. I mean, like, not the glory of God, but like, oh, it's all personal glory. I, was, I don't think I've... I may not have gotten that personal glory part because I feel like it's been a lot of sacrifice, willing to do it. But it hasn't been easy. But it's been a joyful work because I'm determined when I die, I wanted to say, she didn't leave anything here on the gravestone. She didn't leave anything. She did it all. And then under the bottom of that, I'd like it to say, and she was right a freakish amount of the time. Because I'm just saying, I tell my kids, I am. I'm not right all the time, but I am right a freakish amount of the time. And I feel like that needs to be carved into something in Granite. Okay, Henry, promise, your choice. Keep going. Oh, all right, here we are. Now he's re recounting. What happened with the children of Israel? Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. Pay attention to that line. We're going to come back to it. Our brethren have discouraged our hearts. Not the enemy. Not the devil. They don't take the land. They don't enter the promises of God because of what their brethren have said discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great, fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we've seen the sons of Anakim there. Those are the giants. Some people believe that they're mixed with beings, the fallen spiritual creation and mankind. Uh, some people believe they're just, you know, people who had a genetic disorder. Um, but I'm not preaching about that today. I'm just saying that's what they are. And then I said to you, you know, Moses, he had to preach. You know, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. You know, he's an exhorter. He was pissed at these people. He's like, dude, I gave up a cushy life to get you all out of here, and you've been a pain in my backside since that time. And then you didn't even take the promise, and now I've got five books of the Bible right, and I'm going to bring it up every time I can. I'm going to bring it up, and I'm going to talk to you about it. See, I already talked about it in Numbers. I already talked about it in Exodus, but now we're in Deuteronomy, and I'm going to say it again because I've had it with you people. When I was in Scotland, I was up on the Isle of Skye. Ain't nothing past that but Norway and Iceland. I told my husband, I said, this is where people come when they're done with people. We're done with you down there in the lower parts, your religious fanaticism and the crazy town and the clans and the killing everybody. We're done with you. I'm up here now. I'm going to make some tweed on the Isle of Harris, and uh, I'm going to send it down. Y'all sell it. But I'm done with you. I'm done with people. I'm going to stay up here with the sheep. And this is what, you know, Moses is saying. He says, he brings it up. He's not afraid to rub their face in it. 
Moses at this time has no authority over passive aggressive behavior. I just want to point out, <laughs> okay? He says, then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Keep going, please. Terror. I, that was the only thing I could find that said terror. Didn't have a scary face on it in case there were any children in here, so I didn't put it. So I don't even know what Terror Island is, if it's a place or a movie, but if it is or a video game, I don't know. What I wanted you to see is this word terror. I believe with all my heart that what the Lord has shown me in this hour, our greatest enemy, is not cells, Taliban, uh, you know, China, I mean, they're all our enemies. Don't get it wrong. But I believe the enemy of the church in this hour is terror. And I believe that there are people that are missing this point. And like we read in Deuteronomy, the church's heart is failing because of what their brethren are saying about terror and terrible things to come. Our enemy in this hour, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, our greatest enemy, is not just fear, it's terror. We're talking about the kind of terror that we saw a couple weeks ago when those terrorists went over the wall in Israel. See, war's a terrible thing. People die. Sons and daughters and fathers and mothers die. But when an army crosses in to encounter another army, there's at least the rules of engagement. There are protocols of keeping people alive who surrender. There's, there are rules that warriors are changed with. This was no army that went over. That wasn't Syria. It wasn't an army of Palestine. It wasn't Lebanon. It was terrorists who went over that wall, and what do terrorists go for? The most vulnerable. They went for women who had no one to defend them, and the elderly, and babies, and children. No one who was a threat to them. It's disgusting. It's evil, and it is exactly a, an image of what is happening within the body of Christ. Before everybody got wild about vaccines, it's a bad example because now vaccine is synonymous with, you know, darkness and Bill Gates and plans of evil and whatever. But if you look at, so back when, let's talk about a vaccine you're comfortable with, like polio, okay? Maybe you're good with polio. We won't talk about the other ones. Um, I'm just saying. You know, be respectful to where you are in this process. Um, the whole point of polio is you don't insert live virus into the vaccine. It's dead virus so that you can build immunity to the virus. What happens when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the vaccine against terror and fear, has it in the camp? Can you bring up that Matthew 5.14? You, this is the Sermon on the Mount for those of you who want context. 
Uh, can you go a little, go to 14 and 15, I guess, if you can. If you can't, don't worry about it. Matthew 5, 14, he goes through the whole thing about how this is the opposite kingdom. If you want to live, you've got to die. If you need this, you know, the opposite. Everything's the opposite. And then he says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Who puts a light under a bushel? Do you understand in this hour when our enemy, when terror wants to reign supreme, what do you think? I've read articles. They say, what was Hamas thinking? What do you think they were thinking? They weren't just trying to assert some dominance to a boundary. They were trying to create such terror that no Jew would ever go back and live on that land again. You see what I'm saying? Terror displaces you. It, it causes you not to enter your promises. But it also destroys the vaccine, which is us. You are the light of the world because without Christ there's no light you are the light of the world and if you've got live virus of terror in you what hope does the world have in this season what hope when things are rough we live in an evil day don't get me wrong lock your door I'm not saying just live casually Jamie's real big on soft targets I don't know how many weapons he has on his body right now. I bump into him sometimes, and I'm like, oh, what's that? Oh, and it's metal. I'm like, oh, that's a gun. Oh, that's a gun. Oh, that's a gun. He's got so many because he's got a concealed carry. He's got so many guns on him right now. I pity anybody trying to come in this church, okay? Because, and I don't know how many of the rest of you are you know, doing the same. We went to the Friends Church in North Carolina. You know, you're not supposed to have guns. Half everybody in my group had guns on the body. I was like, don't tell them. Don't tell them you got guns up in here because we're, we're like our own little force of army. But, you know, we need to be mindful of the time we live in. But when the children of Israel were living in Babylon, Babylon, people, we don't even have any place right now that evil on earth that I know of. Babylon. What does Daniel say? What Jeremiah said. Build a house, plant a vineyard, thrive, make a life. Don't, don't respond to any of this out here because that's not your kingdom. That's not your world. Be mindful. You know, Jamie says all the time, keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, I don't notice anybody who's dangerous. And I go up to him. I'm terrible at it. Jamie always, he's, he's always like, he'll come up and all of a sudden I'll feel him like body slam me away from something, you know, and I'm offended. Oh my gosh, what are you doing? Because he's pushing me like, you know, over here. And he's like, babe, there's something wrong with that person. I was like, really? You know, I don't know. But see, we're in an hour that's evil. Sure. Are there terror cells everywhere? Probably so. The FBI's total existence right now is to find and route terrorist activity you have an entire government agency that spends big when they need to okay $250 on a hammer you can trust this government that <laughs> they're not holding back any money I'm not saying the FBI is perfect what I'm saying is we have people on the job all the time that are mitigating circumstances you never hear about you see we need to be mindful Jamie is goes to churches and talks about don't be a soft target 
that you need to have people that are trained. You need to have people watching the doors. You need to have armed people in your service. Not because you don't have faith. It's for the same reason you lock your door. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you take precautions? This is a time. I'm not saying put your head in the sand and pretend it's not a hard time. I'm saying pay a mind to the fact that terror is not your portion. And that if we succumb to the terror, then who is the light in this hour? There is no light. Let's keep going, um, Jesse. Thank you. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. This prophecy is predictive of Israel, the Messiah, and all of you who are in Christ, therefore the heirs, according to the promise. This is our greatest hour if we reject the what's trying to be put out for the church, thinking that this is a prophetic message. Terror is never a prophetic message. Rocky hit it right on the head this morning when he said, fear is not from God. Amen. Let's keep going. This is us. People, we are killing it now. If you recognize this. So I got this message whatever two weeks ago when they were having the um emergency system and you know my husband is you know a senior level person in the department of state so when donald trump got vaccinated he had to get vaccinated i mean donald trump you know he didn't take no for an answer and he's like all of you downstairs now we're all getting vaccinated <laughs> so jamie he's like oh i got vaccinated today i was like i didn't even have a chance to pray about this how i feel about it it's as devilish as everyone said i don't even know and um and then he got the vaccine he didn't die didn't turn into an evil person it was amazing and then he got four more and he was the same and uh, so I got mine. I don't care. We have people in our church don't have vaccine. God bless them. It's the United States of America. Don't get a vaccine. I don't care. But we did. And, uh, and because we're not, if God says something to you, do it. But, but you see how much fear has infiltrated the church? So I get this message from people who know I have the vaccine. You need to cut your cell phone off and hide it in another room during the emergency test that they're going to do because it's going to activate something in the vaccine that's going to hurt you. I cannot tell you, my reaction was not anger. My reaction was not disgust. My anger, my reaction was grief. And this is why. QAnon, what it was known as during, you know, Donald Trump's presidency and the COVID, they were playing a live action game with the United States of America, releasing false information. And the church that didn't listen to the Lord gobbled it up like it was prophetic and then started repeating it. And the next thing you knew, fear was everywhere in everything because nobody tested those words. They were a game. And when I saw this, when I got these messages about, you know, QAnon again, you know, they're laughing. They're laughing 
because all they got to do is say, send this message out and watch the church. They're going to scramble like little chickens telling people. And, you know, and, and the thing is, my next thought is science. If you believe that something like that could happen when you cut your cell phone off for an hour, what happens when you cut your cell phone back on? It's the same tower. They can send out any embedded signal they want. It doesn't matter if you cut it off. If something's going to happen, it's going to happen in the hour before or after. Now, I appreciate there are people who care about me that worried I might turn into a vampire or something or werewolf or whatever. But you, you understand, like, my heart felt broken for how many people in the church. Not that they, God told them anything. They just grabbed another word off the Internet that was fearful and terrifying. And the next thing they know. Now, if you did that, if you believed it or you participated in it, there's no shame. I bind shame in Jesus' name. There's no shame for me on it. There's no shame about having fear in your life. Point is, do you want to stay fearful? Because we can show you how not to be fearful. And, and, and that's the point. Not that you were fearful. There should be no shame in fear. But what we want to do is we want to lead you into a better place. Let's keep going. Um, this is us. The bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle. This is our hour, folks. We're not supposed to be running around like scared little chickens. Whatever weird people are posting on the internet. Keep going, please. All right. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. This is scripture that came to my mind when I started to cry when I read my phone. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that travels faster than sound. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this hour if we remember who we are. Let's keep going. All right, if anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is God. And we have come to know and believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God in him. In this way, love has been perfected among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world, we are just like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love. That word perfect there is shalom. Completed, fulfilled. Perfected love, fulfilled love, shalomed love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. I used to walk in a lot of fear as a believer. See, I had to be perfected. It had to be shalomed in love. We had to displace fear. We had to move it out. And the Lord took me through all kinds of circumstances and still does. See, that's why I say there's, there's productive fear. The kind Joyce Meyer says, are you afraid? And then you say, yes. And she says, good, do it afraid. See, that kind of fear, that kind of anxiety that has production in it, not abuse. If you've had a baby, or you've seen someone have a baby, or you heard about someone having a baby, that's productive pain. That's a lot of pain. 
but it's productive pain. See, what you don't want is the unproductive fear, the unproductive pain, the unproductive anxiety. You're never going to be free of the other, but I'm talking about when he has permeated your life with who he is, you're no longer waiting for the other shoe to drop so he can punish you. Because according to the scripture, he poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross. And if he's angry at you now, then that's a lie. He is not angry. He's not angry. He already got it all out. His anger at sin, he poured it all out. See, this is, this is what we're trying to lead people to. This understanding, the worship that's here today. You can't hide in this worship. See, if you got like the drums out of that case and the guitars are blaring and, and the rhythm is driving, you know, you can get caught up like a pep rally. Woo! Right? You, you as far from God as you've ever been. You can't even remember what his voice sounds like. But boy, you can look spiritual because the pep rally is going on. But the worship that goes on here, mm-mm, ain't nothing. It's just naked. Naked worship. You either are in there or you're not. Because you can't fake it. You can't fake it then because there's nothing to hide behind. No rhythm, no loud, no cheerleading, no nothing. It's just you and Jesus or it ain't. See, this is where we learn him. Of course we have fear. But the more we learn him, we're never afraid of him or for him. When I was in Scotland, Bishop I was reading the story of Bishop Wishart. And Bishop Wishart was an Anglican priest who, if you know, if you, you know, know uh, history of the revivals, John Knox led the revival of the Reformation in Scotland, right? Well, John Knox was the sword carrier for Bishop Wishart. So right when the Reformation started, when they were going to throw off all the stuff that didn't belong on the body of Christ anymore, which is what the Reformation was, all this foolishness, cast it off. This isn't our part. It's not our portion. John Knox, prophet redemptive gifts, carrying a sword to protect Bishop Wishart from the Catholic cardinals that want to destroy him. And so they're really good at it. For a long time. This is before John Knox is John Knox, okay? He's just a sword carrier. Remember like Peter in the garden had a sword, cut off a guy's ear. Jesus healed it because he's cool like that, right? Because Peter's just passionate, got misplaced passions. That's John Knox. And so one night they get a message that the cardinal's sending a 500-man army to take anyone who's meeting with Bishop Wishart. And he goes in and he prays, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? Now, that's a, that's a, that has the potential to be terrifying, right? 500-person army coming with religious fervor. Because you ain't seen terrorists until you've seen them with religious fervor. You know, you didn't get a religious spirit involved. Now you got evil, okay? And so they're coming. And he prays. This is what Bishop Wishart hears. One is sufficient for sacrifice. Bishop Wishart Hart says, thank you, Lord. He walks out. He says, everybody leave. He said, I'm staying. He tells John Knox, the swordsmen go. John Knox is crying. I'll never leave you. I'm, if you're going, I'm going. I'm carrying your sword. I'm not going to let you go. And he said, no. He said, the Holy Spirit told me 
that one tonight was sufficient for sacrifice. It's just going to be me when that 500-person army gets here. John Knox is sobbing, and he sends him away. After that experience is when he becomes the reformer that he would be. Bishop Wishart sitting there, middle of the night, 500-person army shows up for one little Anglican priest who's saying, Jesus only, only the word, only faith, only grace. Those were his crimes. Those are the four tenets of the Reformation. Those were his crimes. Pray to Jesus only, no saints, no Mary. Grace, but you're saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith. It's by faith in Christ that we're saved. And the word of God, not the Catholic tradition. Those are his sins. 500-person army shows up, carries them straight back to St. Andrews. They tie him up, put all the wood around him, and set him on fire as a heretic. And he reaches out to the man who's binding him, and he says... Kisses him on the cheek and said, I forgive you. He said, because one is sufficient for sacrifice tonight. And it's my privilege to honor my Savior in this way. See, people think the opposite of fear is faith. But they're wrong. The opposite of fear is love. It's love that it releases the faith and the courage See, you can't sit down with fear and, and be like, I just got to have faith. I just got to have faith. I just got to rehearse the faith word. I just got to. That is not how you displace fear. Fear is displaced by love. So the more you worship the way you worship here, and the more you reach out lovingly and demonstrate authentic Christian community, you're demonstrating the Father in such a way that people will have the faith to have the courage to risk. Because faith involves risk. If there's no risk, there's nothing faithful going on. How can you have faith without risk? See, Bishop Wishart, he's like 500. Come on, y'all. He told me one. That's a terrifying experience, but he's a city on a hill. He is the light of the world because he knows the love of Jesus. And he goes to burn. Now, I don't want, I hope I don't have to make that decision, but God help me and help us all, whatever is coming, that we have that revelation of his love, that we remain the light of the world up until the moment that the flames take you. I mean, come on, people. That's our legacy. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so much better than what we're hearing on the Internet? Let me say this real quick because I want to get to the point of the prophecy for this church and what God did for me in and I promise you I'm going to tie this all together. I'm going to take you right back to God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because I've been doing this 30 years. And I get four closings by my age. So I'm not saying I'm going to have four. But I'm going to tell you. I'm going to take you right back to the beginning. So the people who are tracking it logically, they're like, well, what does all this have to do with that? I'm going to show you in 10 minutes. Give me a minute. All right. So the, when we're looking at this ability to walk in faith, Technically, I'm preaching a counterintuitive message today. Rocky was preaching a counterintuitive message. Because if you get online, 
to the online church, which, by the way, Mark Zuckerberg says he is the most brilliant designer of the modern church for all the churches that meet online on Facebook. You know not an ounce of iron sharpening iron when it's all texting and, you know, Zooms. You know, iron sharpens iron, a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You know what that means? You bump into each other and sparks fly. It don't cost you nothing to be in the online church. And Mark Zuckerberg's like, oh, I've created the church of the 21st century. Sir, that is not the church. That is a method that we can use to communicate with each other, but you got to get elbow to elbow with people. You got to rush it up. You got to mess it up. You got to offend one another and get past it to figure out who God is and who you are and to be the best person you're going to be. See, that's, that's what this is about. And when we get that understanding, we're going to be that light on hill but it's counterintuitive because right now what happens i can't hardly turn on my computer before someone else has released a prophetic dream or a vision about terrible things that are going to happen in our country i saw one last week i'm not going to call any names out i'm just going to say some content uh i saw this is what the dream was released to the body of christ i saw children being dragged out of their houses by government agents and then the scene changed and I saw parents kneeling down praying at their property lines and then I saw a banner that said pandemic 2025 and everybody jumped on it this is going to be the pandemic they're coming for the children they're going to drag the children out of the house I'm going to tell you right now it's almost 2024 this country is 247 years old and and most of us are still appreciating the second amendment if you come south of the Mason-Dixon line in the next year that's a year away okay now subjugate us for a hundred years 400 years, we might let you come in and drag our kids out. But I can tell you right now, I don't know anything about Yankees, but I can tell you about what happens down here in the South, okay? You come to our house, come to Pastor Sam's house and Eliza's house and try to drag those grandbabies out by government officials. No, sir. No, sir. Second Amendment, people, all the weapons coming out. We will shoot you. Now, listen. If, if, if someone, if God wanted to give you a picture of terror and fear, what would he give you? Children being dragged out of the house with no one to protect them, powerless. See, that's not a picture of what is exactly going to happen. It is a picture of the pandemic of 2025, which is terror. And on the slight chance that they do try to come and drag your children out of the house, come on, people. I got an AR in my name because Jamie was gone. And the FBI requires that an AR get delivered to a person. So I had to be able to, like, handle it and load it and whatever. You know, I'm a minister of the gospel. If anybody bothering me, I'm going to say in Jesus' name. Like, that's, my, that's how I do. I don't think necessarily about guns. But, you know... But I can handle it if I need to. Come on, try to drag my grand youngs out of the house. Come on, government official. Try to drag my grand youngins out of the house. People, I'm going to be shooting that AR like I was born and raised in the military. 
Okay, you are not coming. Now, I reckon people in the north love their families as much. You know, I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying, no, no way in one year they're dragging babies out of the house in North Carolina. Okay, not happening. It's just not going to happen. It's not even realistic because the picture is of terror. And so what you have is people who, do I think that vision came from the Lord? I do. Do I think that she interpreted it and applied it correctly? No, I don't. See, that's maturity. That's experience. I don't think she meant wrong. I think she's well-meaning. But it's childish. It's childish behavior. This is the thing. You've got to know the difference between prophetic people, which is the now voice of God, versus the office of prophet. See, if God says, Amos says, Amos 3-7, what will God do lest he release his secret plan to his prophets? That's not prophetic people. Prophetic people hear the now voice of God. I can hear the now voice of God. I'm not in the office of prophet. See, We've lost those distinctions. Ephesians says that when he ascended to heaven, you think, oh, well, it's the Old Testament. No, when he ascended to heaven, he gave gifts to men, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, because we need all five to be balanced. And so we've got people who are prophetic, releasing words to the body of Christ. They don't have the office of prophet. That message is for them. Or it's a message they didn't understand. That God is saying, this is going to be the pandemic facing the church. Terror. Keep going, Jesse. I'm going to wrap this up. All right. So, y'all know the story. All my life, my mom's Russian and Jewish. And my dad, I was told, was Italian. So, all my life, people, you know, ask me, what are you? And I'd say, I'm Russian and Italian. And people would say to Jamie, you know, oh, you know, tu esposa una blanquita. And he would say, oh, no, ella es, ella es italiana. Meaning, oh, your wife's white? Like, dude, we're, you know, like, you heard us. What's going on? And he's like, oh, she's not white. She's Italian. So that's his comeback for years, right? I'm not, not really white. I'm Italian, okay? I do a DNA test, not a drop of Italian blood. Not one drop. Okay, not even 2%. I'm like, my mom's got dementia. I'm in a nursing home trying to ask questions. Lucy, you got some explaining to do, okay? Because I don't know, either he's not my dad or he ain't Italian because some, nobody's Italian here, okay? And uh, so it turns out I'm Scottish, Irish, Russian, and Jewish. Both my parents have Scottish blood. My grandfather on my mom's side is... Scottish. Who knew? I didn't know. I'm shocked. So now I'm not just white, Pastor Sam. I'm super white. Okay? I'm not clear. I'm like, Jamie, you can't be throwing around that Italian thing anymore trying to say I've got a little bit of color. You know, like, you know, I'm sure the only bit of color here is the Jewish, you know, because I do tan and I've got that, you know, greenish tint. I don't have pink. But it's got to be the Jewish, right? Because the rest of me is super white. You know, so now I'm like, okay, this is a mind blow for me because I'm super white. Not that I'm against white people. It's just I didn't know. I thought I was Italian all these years. I mean, I make my own pasta. I grow my own tomatoes. I blanch them. I freeze them with olive oil and basil. Like people, like, you know, whoever would have been proud of me had I been Italian, but I'm not. 
So now when we eat Italian food, my kids say, Mom, a toast to your former heritage. You know? So um, anyway, so the Lord tells me through 18 dreams by the time he's done, 18 dreams and visions, I've got to go to Scotland and Ireland. Got to go to Scotland and Ireland. Got to go to Scotland and Ireland. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go, Lord. So I read, I study, I go on Ancestry, I track my relatives through the immigration into the United States, where they came, the Scottish relatives, through Canada, down to Toronto, down to Ontario, into Michigan. Like, I got names, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got dates, I got names. I'm not just, like, out here Scottish and don't know what that looks like and making it up. So, I get to Ireland because I go with my best friend. Her name is Shauna McLarney, and she's Irish, and she celebrates St. Patrick's Day like it's Christmas. But I don't really care. I only got one Irish relative, my nanny. And so her last name's Cullen. So we're on the sightseeing tour. I can't wait to get to Scotland. I'm 40% Scottish. That's what I want to check out, not the less 11%, you know, Irish. And so that's no offense to Irish people here, okay? I mean, Sean McLarney's all Irish, so we were glad to be there together. So I get to this place in the Wicklow Mountains, second day in Ireland, and this is St. Kevin's Abbey by the way, and uh, my friend Howard Peace had told me that Celtic people had Christianity for years that, that is not recorded as well in history, not recorded thoroughly. And so when I get to Ireland, I find out at St. Kevin's Abbey that, um, that Irish people had embraced the gospel around 250 A.D., and so the gospel goes, you know, where, where the disciples take it to Turkey and Greece and the Mediterranean and Rome. And then a couple of people, St. Patrick, others, they start bringing the gospel to Ireland. And then a St. Columba, a Catholic priest, took the gospel to Scotland. But it started with Ireland. And what happened, what I realized when I was standing there, is the Lord told me, I want you to have respect for the fact that this was a pagan culture, that when they heard the message of Jesus Christ, they put it on their backs and they carried it. Because the rest of the world did not. Africa didn't have the gospel. China didn't have the gospel. None of Asia. Not India. None of those places. Turkey, the Mediterranean, Rome. And then... They turned their backs, and who was left? Europe. And who started? The Irish. He said, I want you to show respect for the fact that they put the gospel on their back. And they renounced paganism, and they were Christians starting in the 200s, and maybe before that, because of recorded history. And Rome wasn't a church. The Catholic Church didn't even exist till Pope Gregory, even though they say different, which was 628 AD. 300 years Christianity is in the Wicklow Mountains in Ireland thriving. I'm like, good gracious. So this is where you go. If you go to Ireland, they'll say go to the Wicklow Mountains, go to St. Kevin's Abbey. I'm only there because it's on the tourist trip. Go to the next screen. This is the sanctuary. If y'all know history, Cromwell, when he out, you know, from England, outlawed you know, not abbeys and everything, he came and, you know, sent on trebuchets, you know, boulders with tar. You can still see the tar on the wall. But this church was established in 300 
300 AD, they were worshiping in the Wicklow Mountains until they were attacked and destroyed. So go to the next one, please. I'm out here. I don't know why animals come up to me when I'm somewhere. It's kind of freakish. I, 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 I don't know. It's like a St. Francis anointing. I don't know. But they just come up to me. And I know you're not supposed to interact with them, you know, like to notice these aren't in water. Just note that back to the beginning. Um, anyway, and I'm like, you know, when I'm camping, I'm like, well, do you want a sandwich? Like, you're not supposed to feed them, but like standing and they're staring at me. They look hungry. I make them a sandwich, okay? So I figure one sandwich isn't going to kill them. So, um, so I'm out here and animals start coming up. By the time we left that day, there were like eight of these spotted deer all around me. Shauna said, you're a weirdo. You know, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I'm at this graveyard. I'm walking through this graveyard that started in 300 AD. Go ahead to the next screen, Jesse. And I find a grave that says Dennis Cullen. It is my relative. I'm looking at the grave of my relative, and all of a sudden it strikes me that I have family who has been serving Christ since 300 AD. Now, because I'm a pastor, I got my old fanny pack with my traveling communion. Because you know how I do. So I'm standing there. I start weeping. Because for the first time in my life, I'm not the kid in my family that got saved when no one else got saved. Who, who I've always been. I mean, I come from a mess. And, and I'm standing there realizing this is my nanny's relative who has been serving Christ since 300 AD. And not only has the Cullen family been serving Christ, my great, 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 great Dennis Cullen is a famous stonecutter and engraver from the 1700s in Ireland, carving into granite. Go to the next screen. That crucifixion scenes and you see up on top the latin jesus christ savior of the world these were pagans worshiping norse gods anglo-saxons picks and from 300 a.d i have relatives that wherever they showed up that was the message jesus christ savior of the world. Keep going. Everywhere you look, see it? The Latin? This is, this is, these are people who renounce paganism. Go, go to the next one. Okay. So, hold on, I'm going to get to this. This is Scotland. So, I am, uh, I'm amazed. I can't believe it. I take communion because I'm so humbled by the fact that I've got people that Howard talked about to me who were my family. I don't know what happened to those people. They wandered, lost, got lost, don't even remember Christianity in the foreseeable memory of my family trying to pull back records. Nobody was Christian. Me. That's it. Except for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who made some deals, some transactions with the Cullen family and said, look, I got... I got this. Thousands of years later, I'm standing on the very gravestone of people who did business with God. Wouldn't have ever known had I not taken the DNA test. 
So now I'm in Scotland. Well, now this is my 40% number. I'm excited. I'm on the Island of Skye. That's Isle of Skye. I don't know how many of you are Star Wars fans, but if you remember when um, he went to Luke, look for Luke, was it, was it when Ray went to look for Luke? And he's sitting, that's where he was, Isle of Skye, because Scotland's super cool, just saying. Okay, so, um, so here I am on the Isle of Skye, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into my Scottishness and uh, whatever that means. And um, I go to supper on Rose Hashanah, and there's a couple there, and they're having supper, and they tell me it's their 50th wedding anniversary. And the Lord says, so this Rosh Hashanah, and you're here on the land because I'm going to start depositing in your life the family gifts that that you didn't get. I'm going to deposit it in your life. And he said, I want you to pay for this couple their 50th anniversary. I want you to pay for their meal because when you go back, I'm going to give you exponential authority over the healing and marriages. I was like, what? Everybody in my family divorced. Everybody. And we don't even know who my daddy is, okay, because I ain't Italian, all right? So I'm just saying, there's sketchiness going on. So... He starts depositing in me not only appreciation for my faith and my family line, but now he's like, there's gifts on this land I'm going to give you because nobody else claimed them. I'm giving them to you. So I'm leaving like with a trip, right? What does he say? When I bring them out of slavery, I'm going to bring them out with substance and abundance. I'm up here on the top of the world getting, you know, blessing from the Lord that I would not have even known that he, should he not have given me 18 dreams of visions I need to go to the land keep going so we're driving through Scotland having a good time and, and my girl we're on our way to Aberdeen and I can't sleep the night before and my girlfriend is asleep and I said let me look and see if there's anything cool to see on the way to Aberdeen you know it's just random oh let me just google it what's on the way and one of the things came up said you need to stop in this town called Ballater because it's really cool and it's outside the mountains and everybody loves it and it's super close to Balmoral and it's just a really cool place to go that's the first time I've heard of it, it wasn't on our itinerary it's only because I can't sleep that I add it to my itinerary next morning we wake up she's like where are we going today I said, we're going to Ballader. Said, we're on our way to Aberdeen. We're going to go to Ballader and check it out. All through Scotland, I don't feel anything from Rosh Hashanah. It's just every day, you know, normal days, nothing. I don't feel anything in the spirit. We start pulling into this town, Ballader, which is right near Balmoral. And all of a sudden, like, all my spiritual senses click on, you know. Ding, 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 ding. I'm like, uh-oh, things happening. I told her, something's happening. I don't know what's happening. I'm connecting with this area. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's happening. So I had wanted to get something from, from Scotland to put on my necklace from my anniversary, my 40th anniversary. And so I saw a jewelry store. And I said, all right, you go over there and get sandwiches. I'm going to go in here at a jewelry store and see if I can buy something that can go on my charm necklace, you know, to commemorate my trip. Meanwhile, I'm feeling all this activity in my spirit. I walk in, and the jeweler looks at me, and she says, I know you. You're here for a purpose. She was an exhorter. She had, you know, that, that intuitiveness, right? I'm like, okay, well, good. And she said, I feel like I've known you before. Have you been here before? Well, no, not recently. <laughs> not in the generations anyway. And uh, so I said, I'm looking to see if you have a 
Scottish thistle or a Lucan booth or something? And she says, no, but I make crosses myself. I design them. You can go ahead and bring that picture up of the cross. And she said, would you like one of these? I don't know if you can see the, it's not a really good likeness there. But do you see it's got rubies and sapphires and, and it's got depth to it? And, you know, I'm not one for just religious jewelry for the sake of religious jewelry. And um, when I saw this, I said, yes, I'll take that cross. Yes, that's what I want. I come out of the store. My girlfriend gets the sandwiches. We're on our way to Balmoral. I think, well, maybe I was just supposed to buy that cross. We get to Balmoral Castle, which is now almost an hour away. I reach in my pocket to take a picture of the gate, and I have the lady's phone. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've stolen a phone. Lord have mercy. I'm anxious about it, you know, because I've taken phone. You take my phone, my life is going with you, okay? All my bills are in there. All my apps are in there. My schedule's in there. Everything in my life. Now, I don't mean like talking to people. I just mean it's mini computer. You take my phone, I am in trouble. And I'm thinking about this for her. I told Sean, I said, we can't go to Balmoral. We got to go back. I stole the phone. I got to get it back to her. So I'm anxious. And as I'm driving back, I'm feeling all this spiritual activity. I'm trying to sort through the anxiety of the stolen phone and the next thing I know I, I said you know what calm myself all right the Lord is sending it back I missed something when I was there I didn't do something I missed something in the spirit that's why he's sending this back okay what do I have to clue me in I got a phone a phone is a method of communication the Lord wants to communicate something to me all right Lord when we pull back in I'm listening so I missed it thank you for chance two we pull back in, go back to the church, the picture before that, if you don't mind, Jess. And as soon as I see the church, I heard the Lord say, go inside. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. Is that a Catholic church? Is it Jehovah's Witness? Is it, you know, Mormon? I don't know what church this is. I'm trying to look at it. It looks super religious. I'm afraid to go in. But I can't tell. But I heard the Lord say, go in. So I tell her, all right, I'm going to carry this phone back. I carry the phone back in. The lady's like, oh, so glad. I didn't even realize it was gone. She said, bless you. She said, you're here for a purpose. I'm like, yes, you know, now we, yes, okay, we got it, okay? So I go out, I walk in the church. I'm nervous, right, because I don't know what this church is. And I walk in, I can't see anything in the lobby. It's Scotland, so the church is open, unlocked. Walk in, and I can't see anything that says what it is, what denomination, not anything, um, you know, you got to be careful what you're walking into, you know, you just can't be walking in anywhere. And um, I open the door and I go inside to the sanctuary and I see on the wall, this church was established by John Knox, 1745. It was the first church he built and has been proclaiming the Reformation and the gospel all these years since. But I'm having a reaction that doesn't make sense. So... I go back to Ancestry and sign in on my phone, and guess where my family came from Scotland? Ballater. You cannot make this stuff up. I'm standing in the church, and now I'm sobbing. Thankfully, I have the fanny pack of communion because I'm a competent pastor. And now I'm sobbing, and I hear the Lord say, you took your life back from me. Your heart, you, you gave me your heart, but you took your life back. You thought it was your own. It's not your own. I'm inviting you into a promise today. Will you pick up the mantle of your family and carry the reformation of this hour to the body of Christ? I'm crying my eyes out because I'm standing on the edge. 
the edge of where the Amorites and the Canaanites and all that is. I'm in my safe little cave in North Carolina, my office, my podcast studio next to me. And I said, yes, Lord, I will. I will. I present myself today. I, I put that mantle on. I'll carry it. I'll carry it for the generations. And I knew right then that my family didn't leave in the clearances. They left to carry the gospel. They left to carry the Reformation. My great, 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 great uncle was the chaplain for the Queen's Army in Nova Scotia, Canada. Nobody remembers that. Nobody remembers these people. Nobody remembers they did that. Because you know where I come from? I come from divorced people. I come from not just divorced people, but my mom is mentally ill. My mom has dissociative identity disorder. She tried to commit suicide when I was four years old after trying to kill me. I went to live while she recovered from the gunshot wound and in the mental hospital, I went to live with a relative that was a pedophile. And then that pedophile shared me with the adult pedophile sons who were truck drivers who would traffic me when, I, when they all came into town. I had to survive my childhood. No one said Jesus. Nobody knew the gospel. Nobody knew light. All we knew was terror except the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob found me. I, all those years, I thought I was just a throwaway kid. But he's multi-generational, multi-transactional. I'm telling you, you are sitting here today because a business someone in your family line did. Whether you ever know what it is or not, it's just by you know, supernatural opportunity that I know. But you're not sitting there because you got saved two weeks ago and went in the river with the wildlife. You're here because someone in your family line did transactional work with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's going to continue on past you because that's the kind of God he is. That's what we're here. This is the God that we're having confidence in in this hour. Okay, keep going. We're going to get through this quick. I'm going to give you now what happened. Go, go to the next one. All right, so I'm coming up the hill. Is there any way to brighten that? Probably not. I'm coming up the hill to the mountains, preach the gospel this week. And I come from, uh, you know, up the mountain and pull up where you know black mountains the first thing you see right and the sky opens up and now you know you're you're in the mountains and i see this cloud that's huge over this black mountain and then swananoa it's right over swananoa because i can see it coming from black mountain but when i get past swananoa i can't see it it's huge. It's this huge banner. Do you see the color in the cloud? It's not really good on this picture, but if you want to see it on my phone, go to the next one. Let's see if that one shows it better. Um, no, try the one, next one. See if the next one shows it better. Oh, does it? Oh, okay. Do you see that color? You see the red, orange, and yellow in the banner? And I mean, I'm talking 50 feet by 50 feet, this color thing. There's no rainbow. There's no rainbow on either side that's disguised or, or dispersed. This is just that medallion of color, red, orange, yellow, over Swananoa. Because when I got past Swananoa, I couldn't see it. It was behind me, the banner. And uh, let's go to the next one. 
see, I'm, I'm like, I'm fascinated because, you know, I'm not the kind of person that sees Jesus in toast, all right? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, we had toast, and it looks like Jesus, and we got to put it on the Internet, all right? I'm not that person. I don't think you got to help God out with that kind of stuff. But this is a phenomenon I cannot ignore over. He could have shown this to me anywhere on the drive. He showed it to me right over Swananoa as I'm coming to Black Mountain. Now, let me tell you what biblical colors mean in this case, because it's a banner, right? You see, it's a banner. The cloud is a banner. My grandson and my husband are pilots. My husband, before he was a pilot, was a flight engineer. He's been flying like 40 years. I asked him, have you ever seen that? Because pilots know clouds. That's the reason I'm saying that. Clouds are their thing, okay? They got to know clouds. They have knowledge of clouds. I asked my husband, he's flown in Adak, Alaska. He's flown in Iceland. He's flown all over the world, the whole continent. I said, have you ever seen something that looked like that, that was not part of a rainbow, just sitting in the middle of a cloud? He said, I've never seen it. My grandson, I showed him the picture when he got here. He said, Grandma, it's a cirrus cloud because he just passed his private pilot like a month ago. And he said, Ann, in order to see those colors in that way, the ice crystals in the cloud have to be perfect size in order for scattered light, which is the phenomenon to show. Right over this area. Red, people would think, is love. It's not. Red in the Bible is wisdom. Orange is perseverance. And all that yellow, which is the most, what, what do you know about yellow? Tie a yellow ribbon round the old. When someone is coming back. He is for you, Jehovah Nisi. Nisai is the actual Hebrew pronunciation. Yahweh Nisai, the Lord, our banner, our victory over this region established that this would be a place where there would be wisdom, where there would be perseverance until his return. I was like, whoo, Lord, I mean, this is not toast, people. This is happening in, in real time. Now, where is the first time the Lord, the Bible talks about Yahweh Nisai? Is Moses, after the Amalekites, who were terrorists, attacked them after they crossed the Red Sea. They crossed the Red Sea, and the Amalekites came out unprovoked and tried to victimize them. And that's the battle where, you know, Moses held his hands up and that, you know, I mean, Moses is 80, y'all. You know that, right? When he gets called into, you know, this kind of ministry. He's 80 years old. Said they put a rock under him. Aaron and her, you know, they're holding his arms up. So they win. A battle against the Israelites who just crossed the Red Sea. What have they been doing for 40 years? Making bricks. Okay, so they're construction workers. They're probably cut. They're probably built. All right? But they don't know anything about war. They don't have no weapons. When you're a slave, you don't have a weapon. They didn't go to boot camp. They weren't wrestling in the backyard. They were working. So they got muscles, but they don't know anything about war. And guess who comes out against them? The terrorists. And you know what God says at the end of that battle after they win? Could you imagine their faces when Joshua shows up? All right, everybody, get a sword. <laughs> we're going to war. What? We're going to war. And he says, Moses, 
makes an altar, and God says to him, write this down. You know there's no paper back then, okay? So when God says write this down, serious business, write this down. Somebody get me a papyrus, you know, so I can get ink. <laughs> All right, this is serious. God said write it down. He said, I will be at war with the Amalekites from generation to generation to generation because they raise themselves against my throne. That's the God you're serving in this hour. He fights terrorists. You don't have to fight the terrorists, and you don't have to succumb to the terror that they want to give you. So the word of the Lord to this church. As I meditated on this, looking at the, um, the banner, Jehovah Nisi, over this area, the red, the orange, this is his banner. And I heard this. The church, this church has a wonderfully difficult assignment. It is a safe place, a place of authentic Christian community. Go to the next um, thing, please. It's a place where people come to soar. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. See, a lot of times, depending on your design gift, you don't have appreciation for weight because to you, weight is waste. If you're not in action, you're wasting time. Waiting time is not wasting time. Waiting time is where you renew strength. The Lord said a wonderfully difficult assignment. And I began to hear as the Lord was speaking this to me about this church, I heard the Lord say, he sends people here who are battle weary. He sends people here for rehab. He sends people here for recovery. He sends people here who are in transition, going from one thing to the next thing. And then I heard murmuring and gossiping kind of like voices. Well, why do people leave? Why don't they stay? Why don't these people, what's wrong with the church that people don't stay? And, um, you know, that kind of just that little petty. And then some people genuinely wondering, like, why don't people stay? Because they're not supposed to. See, this is a place of transition that God can send people. Now, there have to be people who are here to run the camp, okay? There are people that have to be here to keep this camp that God can say, I'm going to take my servant who's on their way from this thing to that thing, and I'm going to put them here to keep them safe. My own daughter had that years ago. Um, you were seven. You're 21. So look how many years ago. She had grown up in our church. She was exhausted, exhausted being a pastor's kid. She had been in charge of every ministry you can imagine, and she was in charge of children's church when she came here. She needed a safe place the transition from being worn out in the body of Christ. See, there are people that God puts here because that's exactly what they're here to do, is to get healed up, to get whole, and to leave. Now, is everybody who goes supposed to go? Nope. Because there's still those people who think the problem is the place they're in. They don't do the math. That everywhere they go, there's a problem. They think we haven't found our place. Nope. See, the component in math that is consistent is you. And you take you everywhere you go. And you really think that many churches are messed up and that many marriages and that many jobs? No. You have to find the common denominator. You have to find. See, you leave. 
because you, this isn't doing what you want. What do you want this church to be? Well, I want it to be a church for missions. I want it to be this. I want it to be that. Well, I'm sorry. That's not its assignment. See, when you all stand before God, you're not going to give an account for what you did. You're going to give an account for what you were called to do. He is not going to be impressed with what you did. He wants to know, did you do what you were told to do? What you were assigned? See, this is, when I say wonderfully difficult, you know how hard it is to raise people up, heal them, rehab them, love them, strengthen them, equip them with skills they didn't have that they've got to have to go in the next season, and then watch them leave out? It breaks your heart. This is a, this is a hard assignment to have but what a glorious assignment that God would put a banner saying Yahweh Nisai is covering this house and the work that it's doing because it's a safe place what a privilege to be here see for me being places I've been exploited in in churches I have been I've seen wonderful things I've seen terrible things if I lived up here this would be my church I don't care if they're on the mission field all the time. I don't care if they're on TV. I don't, they're safe. And for me, that's a high value, right? Safe. If I need some excitement, I'll turn on the Internet. If I need a, more excitement, I'll go on the mission field. And then I'm coming right back here home where mom and daddy are safe, where the people are safe, where the culture is safe. That's the anointing of this house. Now, is God ever going to change that? I don't know. He didn't tell me that, but this is what he told me. Don't, don't think it's strange that people left. Anointed people, quality people, talented people, good people. They were supposed to leave. They were never permanent. There are people. So then I was thinking, boy, I, Sam and Eliza, they're probably like standing at the door hoping, well, I hope we get to keep this one <laughs> because she can really sing or he can really play or whatever, you know. I mean, you guys had Brian and Ramey Whalen at one point. Good gracious, you know, but they were only here for a season. The Lord, think about all the people that have been here and come through. Feel like a revolving door. You know what that's called? Well done. It's not easy. Wonderfully difficult. Well done. Because you're letting them go the way they're supposed to go. It is not a reflection on this family as a church or the leadership of these people when they say, and even if you've never said it out loud, I could hear it in a murmur around the region. Why do they go? Why do they go? What's wrong? Why don't they stay? Because they were never supposed to. And I said, well, Lord, what, what's, what's the word? He said, well done. That's the word. That's why my banner is over them in this hour. I am over them in this hour of protection and victory. In this time of terror, well done. Well done. Receive it. Well done. 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 Well done, well done, well done, well done, well done. Boy, I'll tell you, Miss Jo Jane is here. Woo! 
Whew, Lord, if we all finish like her, right? I mean, come on, man. She said, I'm hanging on by a thread. I said, well, it's a gold thread. <laughs> this is a place where people come to soar. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, mount up with wings. This is not wasting time. It's waiting time. People don't stay because they're not supposed to. He is the God of living promises. Well done. Lord, bow your heads with me, please. Lord, I ask right now for every single person in this room, I know, I know because I know you and your word and your example that there are generations sitting here of people who transacted business with you. And these people who are sitting here now and even their seed to a thousand generations, you've got them. And you will reach for them. Now, everybody chooses. Everybody's got choice whether we enter your promises. Lord, even I was dragging my feet this last year. But I gave you my life back. And I said I'll finish well. Lord, I ask as I stand up here today, let that oil drip down onto the ministry here. Onto Sam and Eliza. Lord, let it drip down. Father, let it drip down. Lord, to the leadership here. To everyone in leadership and the sound of my voice, outside the sound of my voice in the nursery, those that had to leave. Let it drip down. Let it drip down. Well done. Well done. Finish well. 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 This is the opportunity to enter his promises. Finish well. Finish well. Finish well. Let this whole area be changed because you're going to have that counterintuitive message. Finish well. Finish well. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you missed him. Finish well. Finish well. Finish well. I don't care what you've done. What I'm saying is this is your chance. Fresh. Turn it back over to him. Turn your life back over to him. Finish well. Finish well. The parts you've been holding back. Finish well. Finish well. The parts you've been holding back. Release it. Release it now. Let terror go. I bind terror and all its evil work in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I command every part of the fallen spiritual creation that would hold on to anybody's life in the sound of my voice, in this region even, to go in the name of Jesus, never return and send nothing in your place. And Lord, as space is being vacated right now, we're hurt and hopelessness, and exhaustion, and fatigue, and confusion, and anger, and unforgiveness, and just plain out exhaustion has been there. Fill it up. Fill it up. Holy Spirit, blow fresh. That, Lord, this would be known instead of this house, Generation Church, that they entered into the promises gladly. That they accepted the assignment. I want you to stand. Um, 
when I was standing in that church in Scotland, everybody, if you would stay, if you, if you want to stand, if you want to stand for this moment and what God's doing, when I was standing in that church crying, taking communion, I felt a robe be placed on my shoulders. And I knew that it was the robe of that generational assignment. It was the garment. It was the anointing. And so I just want you to lift your hands right now. And just I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to release from the generational line right now whatever you need for your journey right now, wherever you are, for crowns, for, th for robes, for swords, for scrolls, for anything the Lord wants to release. Flowers, grace, perfume, atmosphere. I just want you to receive it right now in the presence of the Lord. Just receive it. Receive it. Finish well. Finish well. Finish well. Finish well. Finish well. Finish well. Woo! Lord, the anointing is thick in here, people. I just walked through something over there. Whatever this is, feels like water. It's like a wall of water right here. Thank you, Lord. Lord, wash away the old, release the new. Lord, I dedicate this house. I confirm your word. Wonderfully difficult anointing. This is a place where people come to soar. And some people are going to fly away. And Lord, I pray that this church would have the maturity and the grace to let them go. But Lord, also, for every, for every person that they let go, I pray, Lord, that you would send one for every ten that stay. I hear, I hear you, Lord, saying, ask for one for every ten. And I'm going to ask for it now. I ask for every ten that go, you send one that will never leave. One that will stand. One that will hold up arms. One that will put a rock under Pastor Sam's bottom or Pastor Eliza's bottom when they're tired. Lord, thank you that I hear that there are those that are going to be coming back because it's their season. It was their season to leave. They were, they were blown out by your wind, and then there's going to be those that are coming back. Lord, I pray that you would destroy the elder brother spirit in this church for those that return, not even prodigals, but just those that are, are to return. Lord, thank you that there are going to be those in this season who are coming back while this church stands faithfully hearing the message well done well done well done lord ask for one in ten for every ten that leave ask for one that doesn't leave one that'll carry the weight on their shoulders one that'll finish the work with them and i bless this church i bless generation church in swananoa north carolina to finish well to reject terror to receive love and to enter into the promises of God in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. 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 You know, there's times when you need the word of the Lord to make sense of sometimes all the craziness. And... Over the years, some things just don't add up and don't make sense. <laughs> Sometimes you need to 
have the word of the Lord to say, okay, this is why this is going on, and this is why this has happened, and this is what you're called to, and this is for the purpose that you've been established in Swana Noah. So I am very grateful for the Lord for speaking today. I've, I've known what she has said in my heart, but it was good to hear it uh, confirmed. And it was good to hear it established with two or more. It shall be established. So I'm in agreement. And I'm in agreement with what the Lord has for us as a people. So let's get our wings on. It's time to soar. It's time to soar. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand. Father, I just thank you today for the word that you gave us. Lord, I thank you that we will be a church that will mount up with wings like eagles. So, Lord, we are born to fly. And God, I thank you that, um, that eagles are soaring, are going to mount up, are going to... Um, I just I have to be honest with you. I just... You know, there's sometimes I just need to take a break. And you know what I do when I take a break? I go fishing. And this week I said, I need to go fishing. So I just drove to Tennessee by myself, and I just said, I'm going fishing. And you know why I was fishing? I didn't catch any fish. But I did see a lot of eagles flying around me. They were flying all around me. I guess I ate the fish. I don't know. But they were... They were all around me, and I, I thought, Lord, this is so beautiful. I just thank you for these eagles. This is so beautiful. Well, you know, it does seem different when those that wait upon the Lord, those that rest in the Lord, that wait upon the Lord, those are the ones that will mount up. Those are the ones that will be raised up, that those that wait upon the Lord. Those will renew their strength. They'll get encouraged. They will begin to hear things that that witness to their hearts. But I just declare and decree that there's going to be a mounting up of people in this church like eagles that are going to be soaring. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask now that there would be those in our midst that would begin to rise up even in their situations that have been very difficult. Because we were not made to stay earthbound. We were made to rise and soar. So God, I pray now in the name of Jesus that those that have been weary, those that have been tired, will now begin to lock their wings and wait for the wind of the Spirit. Lord, I pray right now that those need, that need to be refreshed, that need to be encouraged, need to know that the best is yet to come. God, are going to be supernaturally lifted up. And God, I pray for just your presence and your anointing to come upon each and every one. Let the wind begin to blow. And let it begin to lift them up off the ground. And God, I thank you and I praise you that we were born to fly. And, Lord, I ask now that, Lord, you would cause us to soar into the heavenlies and begin to experience
really our home because our home is with you. And Lord, I praise you and I thank you right now for there is a new renewal of people's strength being done at this very moment. So Lord, I bless each and every one to be strengthened by your Spirit, to be strengthened with power by your Spirit so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That they would be rooted and grounded in love. So, Lord, I pray right now that your love would abound in every heart. And I ask in the name of Jesus that, that any residue, any element of fear would be displaced in Jesus' name by the power of your love. And, Lord, I'm asking now that you would just lavish your love upon each and every one. And let everyone be encouraged that the best is yet to come. So, Lord, I pray you'd bless and keep each and every one. That, Lord, you would make your face shine upon everyone here. And be gracious to them. Let grace abound upon them. And lift up your countenance upon them and give them your shalom peace. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ that guards us and protects us. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.